What's God doing in your life? Here's Pastor Ed Ray. He's chipping away the things that encase us, that keep us from becoming everything he wants us to be. That in fact, he's not through with any of us and he will get all the things that hinder us off of us by the time he takes us home. So rejoice that he takes broken sinners and he turns them into works of art. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. When asked how he transformed a block of marble into his masterpiece, the Statue of David, Michelangelo answered by saying, I had a vision in my mind of David, and I simply carved away everything that was not David. And that's what God, the greatest of masters, will do in your life, to make you his masterpiece. And that's our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We began last time in 1 Timothy chapter 1, looking at the transformation of the Apostle Paul. We begin to see that if God can save the worst of sinners, he can save anyone. We continue today in 1 Timothy chapter 1 with more on this transformation process by the power and the gift of grace. God's grace to you is more than you can take in. You can't contain it. It will spill out over. It's like taking a, a cup and a saucer and say, can I have more coffee, please? And they start pouring and they start talking to you. They forget. They don't see what they're doing. The cup fills up, goes onto the saucer, over onto your leg. You jump up screaming because of hot. Not so with grace. You get more and more like the coffee, but it's a gift from God. And God's trying to get this. God's trying to increase our capacity for grace. You're not stuck in where you are. I'm not stuck where I am. God is in the process of increasing the volume of the container the grace goes in. You, you are a jar of clay. You are a mud pot. You are a cracked mud pot, Paul said. I am too. But God just keeps pouring more and more grace, and he increases your capacity to take in God's grace. Why? So you can hoard it? No, no, no. So you can give it away. So you can... Give to other people what you've received. Paul says, I'm a blessed man. God has blessed my life so I can be a blessing to others. Paul, you're in a prison when you write this. You're blessed? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's given me things that this world doesn't understand. Favor with the creator of the universe. This is just a short time. This is a launching pad for eternity. We're going to eternity. Did you get that? Poured it out on me abundantly. Then he makes this statement. This is one of those... World-changing statements that changed to England. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exceptions that Christ Jesus came into the world to save wonderful people. This must be a misprint. Came to save religious people? Hmm. Came to save Baptists, Lutherans, Catholics, Methodists, Packing House. Sinners? How can that be? Jesus said so too. I didn't come to call the righteous. The healthy people don't need a physician. It's the sick people that need a physician. Paul says, God came 
for one purpose. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Lost people would be found, rescued. It's that simple but profound statement that God left heaven and compressed himself down into a baby in a manger in Bethlehem so that he could grow amongst us, show us the way, what it was that God was like, and then died so that sinners would be saved. We've all heard the story so many times, I think maybe those words lose their power because we come, become so familiar with them. But God's sole purpose in coming was for sinners. Whew. That's the good news. Then Paul drops this bomb. I am chief. Ego, imi, protos, it says in the Greek language. Ego, imi, I am, present tense. Not I was, I am. Protos, where we get our word, the protege, first in rank, or the whole concept of being someone who's the worst in this case of all. Paul was arrogant as a member of the Sanhedrin, sent to destroy men, women, and children. This radical persecutor of the church. He was confident that he was helping God. Paul was an ISIS member 2,000 years ago, only not Muslim religion, but there's people passionate to kill Christians. Paul was passionate to kill Christians. Hmm. And he was so arrogant about it that God had to shock him with a personal two-by-four between the eyes. And I'm smiling because he had to do the same to me. Some of us are so pig-headed, so hard-headed, he has to stop us in our tracks. So Paul's attitude towards himself was radically changed. Now, don't misunderstand. Paul was a religious man. The Pharisees were the most fastidious of the sects of Judaism. You know, we had the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Herodians. But the ones who were into the law, doing it every day, were the Pharisees. We think of hypocrites. Well, they were because they were, you know, measuring out their salt granules at the same time that they were stoning people to death. The reality is he kept the law. He thought that was the way to get to heaven, and he kept it good. He said he was blameless. He kept every tenet of the 613 commandments of the Old Testament. And when he didn't, he'd sacrifice a lamb. A lot of sheep died for Paul. Aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? He had to come up here with a sheep, you know. It's so embarrassing. Everybody knows you sin because you got a sheep with you. You bring it up here and you kill it and get out and get in your car and you go to leave and you get in a fight with somebody. You have to bring another sheep in. You can't even get out of the parking lot before you're in trouble. Sheep are going, oh, no, we're going to church. <laughs> Paul says, I'm the chief. Now, this, I mentioned quickly at the front end, that this particular sentence, this verse, changed England. It happened in 1517. There was a, a Renaissance scholar by the name of Erasmus. He actually was from the Catholic Church, but he was a brilliant man. And he was invited to England to speak at Cambridge. And so he came and he spoke at Cambridge. And a young man there who was a graduate student in law, Thomas Bilney, heard him and was stunned by this man. He was fluent in like 12 languages and just a brilliant man. 
Billy talked to him, and he started reading his works, his books that he'd written, and he wrote volumes of books. And so he's working his way, because he saw in this man, he said, uh, Billy said he had, he had run out of the religion of his childhood. He had outlived his catechism. The, the answers he had as a child no longer worked as a Cambridge scholar. But this man was confident in his relationship with God. So he started reading all his work, and he got to a book in Latin because lawyers had to uh, be fluent in Latin in those days. And so he wanted to improve his Latin. And it was the New Testament in Latin. And he'd never read the New Testament because he didn't read Greek. And so Erasmus had translated it into Latin, which he was learning. And he got to this verse. In fact, it sounds like that he opened the Bible in his first perusal, he came to this verse, verse 15. Here's what he wrote in his diary. My soul was sick and I longed for peace, but nowhere could I find it. I went to the priest and they appointed me penance and pilgrimages. Yet by these things, my soul was not set free. But at last I heard of Jesus. It was then when first the New Testament was set forth by Erasmus that the light came. I bought the book, being drawn by the Latin rather than the Word of God, for at that time I knew not what the Word of God even meant. On my first reading, I chanced upon these words, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. This one sentence through God's inward working did so light up my poor bruised spirit that the very bones within me leapt for joy and gladness. It was as if, after a long, dark night, day had suddenly broke, and God saved him. He was lost, and he was found, and then he couldn't keep quiet about it. And England required a license to preach in those days, but he couldn't stop preaching. He'd go out into the street corners, and he'd preach the gospel and get arrested over and over again. Finally, in 1531, he was arrested for preaching for quoting a Bible verse on a street corner without a license and sentenced to death, it would enrage England and start a, a movement towards the Reformation. But as he was tied, the officers placed the firewood around him, read from it. Billy remained firm. They tried to get him to recant. As the fire was lit and as the flames engulfed him, his final words, Billy said, were Jesus, I believe. Can you say that? I believe. Jesus, I believe. Again, Jesus, I believe. Oh, powerful words. I believe you died for me. Powerful words indeed. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're so glad you've joined us. Now with part two of today's lesson from 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Here's Pastor Ed. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern, as a display, as a picture to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Hupotuposis, the Greek word, hooper, again, uh, super picture. Literally, the word is scene, where he's describing himself as a painting. Paul says, my conversion was to draw a picture for the rest of the world. 
of what God was trying to do, of God's mercy and grace and saving others. Paul says, I'm the, I'm the guinea pig. <laughs> I'm the first. He was being so transparent here. People struggle with it to this day. I, I heard two theologians arguing about this, whether Paul was really talking about being a sinner now, because once you're a saint, you never sin. Really? I'm sitting in the back going, I must be involved with the wrong folks, because <laughs> I understand exactly what Paul means. He was the chief of sinners. So Oliver Cromwell ruled England for a short time, not as king, but it was the custom in those days before photographs to have a portrait of the head of state painted. And so he submitted to that, didn't want his picture, but his portrait, but he agreed to it by a famous French painter. The guy's name was Peter Lely. And so the painter asked him how he would like to be portrayed. And he said, I desire you would use all your skill to paint my picture truly like me. Don't flatter me, but leave in all these wrinkles, pimples, warts, and all. Otherwise, I'll not pay you a penny. I like that. I knew the phrase warts and all before I knew where it came from that, you know, reality. We all long for reality. We long for truth. We long for justice. It's wired in us. We want to see things really the way they are. And Paul is, is doing that here. In fact, the entire Bible is filled with characters that are flawed. Have you noticed? You know, well, you know, I can find a good character in the Bible. Where do you want to start? How about at the beginning? Let's see, Adam and Eve had, who was their favored son? Who was their first son? Cain. Oh, wait a minute. He killed his brother. Well, how about, let's go a little further along. How about Noah? Ah, no, 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 it got really drunk. How about Abraham? Ah, that whole thing with lying to Pharaoh twice, that his wife was his sister, that, you know, that's not real good. Oh, well, how about Moses? I had that awkward time of killing the Egyptian, stuffing him in the sand. How about David? Oh, never mind David, we know about that. <laughs> How about the New Testament? How about Peter? Yeah, I'll deny all thing. How about Paul? Well, the chiefest of sinners. This book is filled with people that are more messed up than you and I to encourage us. So if God will take them and use them, then you and I have opportunity. Wow. Maybe God's a little blind or something. No, no. God's a little graceful or something, a little loving or something. Paul said, all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on everlasting life. You see, God sees where you're going. He knows where he's going to take you. He's going to get you home. He's able to keep you from falling. You're struggling right now? Pastor, I'm just hanging on by my fingernails, somebody told me. Well, I know that feeling, but he rescues us often at the last moment. Have you noticed that? Why? Because he just wants us to tremble a little? No, no. He wants us to know that it's him that rescues us. It's darkest right before the dawn. He's about ready to rescue you. Just say, come, rescue me, Lord. Rescue me. Believe on him for everlasting life. It's all about sinners receiving the free gift of life. I was reading a, a fascinating interview. I keep up with the antagonists to the gospel as well as the people that speak for it. There's a, a famous atheist, Christopher Hitchens, Englishman, he came to America, he writes for the Atlantic Monthly. Actually, he died not long ago. And right before he died, he, he did an interview with a, a pastor, a female pastor, Unitarian pastor in Portland, Oregon. 
and it was on the radio. And sometimes atheists understand it better than so-called Christians do. Listen, her name is Marilyn Sewell. She said, the religion you cite in your book is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. But I, I'm a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, you know, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinction between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? Hitchens responds. I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian anyway. Hitchens was listening to all those people he was debating with. He got it. I don't know. Seems to me that he confessed. <laughs> but he understands it better than a lot of people in the church. Well, you don't believe those stories in the Bible, do you? Really? <laughs> well, if you don't believe the stories, why do you believe the stuff in between? Well, you don't really believe the miracles, do you? Well, I'm a miracle. Some of you grew up in this town and you know about me. <laughs> That's God's little joke for Redlands. <laughs> Takes the least likely guy and makes him preach every Sunday in the town he created horror in. It's grace. It's grace. Verse 17. Paul can't stand it. He just breaks into praise. Comes out with, now to the king eternal immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He's, we've seen him do that several times. But Paul, all he knew was that God was eternal, that he always was. He is now and he always will be. I don't believe the human mind can grasp that. We have eternity in our hearts. We know the concept is real, but we can't wrap our mind around things. God has always been there, and he always will be there. And miracle of miracles, he wants us to always be with him into eternity. God's eternal. He's immortal. He doesn't die. And he can pass that on to you. He will. He has. You are immortal. He is invisible. No one has seen God and lived. Well, what about Moses? Oh, he saw his backside. Well, what about Isaiah? No, no, he just had a vision. John in Revelation, just a vision. Well, they saw Jesus. Yeah, but this was the Christ, the Messiah, compressed down into this little human body. Oh, he'd break out every now and then. You know, he'd said things like, I am, and all the soldiers fell back in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he alone is wise. He's God. We are not. He understands everything. We don't. His plans for us are for good, not for evil, to bring us to a hope and expected end. Be honored high regard and glory display forever and ever. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. We don't know what the prophecies were. There's a lot of speculation you can read. Books written about the prophecies of Timothy, although we don't know them. Why well, go there? But it does describe a personal prophecy given to a young man. You need to be careful about those in your life. I have people come to me often and say, I have a prophecy for you. And they give it to me, and I, I try and listen quietly and humbly, because it just might be God, right? But girls, if a guy comes to you and says, God told me to marry you, you're supposed to marry me, the correct answer is, God didn't tell me that. That happens a lot in the church, okay? And sometimes the other way around. Girl comes to a guy and says, God told me. Okay, so just be a little, get your baloney meter turned on and ready. Verse 19, 
having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the truth. He's going to name two of them who rejected and, and turned aside. Verse 20, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I deliver to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is a startling phrase. Deliver to Satan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. These two men are going to be mentioned. Second Timothy 2, 17, Hymenaeus is mentioned again as a preacher of heresy, and evidently Alexander was doing the same thing. Paul delivered them to Satan. I believe that that was only something that apostles could do. You remember, Peter did that in the book of Acts, that whole Ananias and Sapphira thing. And here he did it with these two men. And I say that to encourage you that God does not trust us with that kind of power. You know that whole James and John, the son of thunders, well, you want us to burn down the village, God, that sort of thing? God didn't give you the gift because of the I-10 freeway, okay? That way, you know, that guy cuts you off, he can't just, you know. So that's not for you. Okay, go back and look at 15, and it says, faithful saying, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. One of my favorite writers, long since gone to be with the Lord, F.B. Meyer, wrote, sinners of whom I am chief on Paul's present tense claim of being the chief of sinners. If an elephant can go safely over a swaying bridge, the horse and mule can too. And the apostle seems to glory in the very beginning of the process and progress of the gospel to the world. It was lay hold of and it converted him. Because he had been saved, anyone might be. As men and women have been brought into conviction in successive ages, it has been a profound consideration to learn that the chief of sinners has been in heaven for 1,800 years. 1,900 now, more. In him first, Jesus Christ showed forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe. Without doubt, Paul never forgot the excesses of his hatred and persecutions towards the infant church. But he alludes here also to the deepening consciousness of unworthiness and sinfulness the longer he walked with God. Paul clearly recognized his uttermost indebtedness to the grace of God in him. So Paul says in the present tense, I'm still the longer I walk with God, recognize that I'm capable of all kinds of sins. Someone approached Michelangelo, the gifted artist, but he was also a very gifted sculptor, right? And he was uh, working on a, a huge block, eight foot tall. I, I saw it in Florence, Italy. And it's called Emerging Angel. And this man asked him what he was doing. And Michelangelo said, quote, I'm releasing the angel imprisoned in this stone. I think that's exactly what God is doing in you and in me. That he's chipping away the things that encase us, that keep us from becoming everything he wants us to be. That in fact, he's not through with any of us and he will get all the things that hinder us off of us by the time he takes us home. So rejoice that he takes broken sinners and he turns them into works of art. Ending our time today on Grow in Grace with an encouraging note of triumph. That's Pastor Ed Ray. God will complete his work in you. And what a masterpiece you must be. For you're made by the master of masters. We're going and growing through a study of 1 Timothy at the present time. Get today's study on CD by calling us toll-free at 844-77-GRACE. 
That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. Again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but we are listener-supported ministry. And if God is calling you to take part in the ministry through a financial gift, we'd like to say thanks by sending you Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. Maybe prayer to you is just something you do without much thought before a meal or just another thing to cross off your to-do list. There's great power through prayer, and this book will help to elevate your thinking about it to see how it truly makes a difference. This guidebook provides believers with information about the most effective ways to use prayer to better understand God's Word, to fully appreciate divine power, and more deeply commune with God. Again, that's your gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can call 844-77-GRACE. We are always touched when we hear about what God is doing through this radio ministry. If you're growing in grace as you study alongside us, would you mind shooting us an email today? Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. Then join us back here next time for Grow in Grace as we return to 1 Timothy. In the meantime, keep looking to Jesus and grow in His grace. Zion, now filled with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your